Hey guys, Johnny Cadillac here, and I kind of want to take you on a little bit of a history before we were given the access to having this audio podcast, audio to all podcast platforms of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk podcast. In April of 2022, it started as something I just did on Facebook Live, and I was fortunate to have some really, really good interviews before I was able to get this audio format as well. And um, and again, they're just exclusive to Facebook Live. Luckily, I've recorded them all as well. And there's one interview in particular. There's a handful of interviews, actually. But one I was thinking of for this week that I just really enjoyed. And I want to get out there to as many platforms as I can. And this was last June. So a few months before we went and started having the audio uh, podcast branch. This was an interview I did with MWA superstar and LMFP um, promoter Levi McDaniel. A very enlightening interview, kind of a history of of his wrestling career, and then just my tenure working with him. And it was, honestly, guys, I'll, I'll say this. This was an interview I really enjoyed doing. He was not happy with me at the start, as you'll hear. But ultimately, I th thought it was very enlightening. And I've gone and listened to it back, and I cringe at some of my... Some of those things I could tell I was early on into the podcast game with the way I talked and my mannerisms. But overall, I thought the message and the just the whole interview of this was one of my better ones. And I give all that credit to my guest, Levi McDaniel. And we will have Levi McDaniel on for another episode of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast at a very soon time. But I want to make sure if, you, if you've heard this on Facebook Live, or if you, especially if you haven't had the chance to listen to my interview with Levi McDaniel, that you are given the opportunity to do so. So without further ado, here is Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast with special guest Levi McDaniel. It's time! And welcome to Caddy Chat, a wrestling talk podcast. I am your host, Johnny Cadillac. Episode 7 of Caddy Chat, a wrestling talk podcast. Again, I'm your host, Johnny Cadillac. Joining me today is MWA star and promoter, owner of LMF, uh, yeah, LMFP. It's a lot of letters there. Uh, Levi McDaniel. Levi, how are you doing today? Johnny Cadillac, you son of a bitch. You told me to come on here at 3 o'clock. Three o'clock rolls around. You tell me you're stuffing your fat face full of lunch. So, Johnny, tell everybody, tell everybody what you had for lunch. Oh to man! Prepare for this interview. Oh, I, I guess I got to listen. Uh, Oblige. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed raising Kane's lunch, so it's not exactly the healthiest lunch either. I'm just really upsetting you today, aren't I? Raising Kane's. You know, we have one here in Des Moines. You know, you should have thought of me. Hooked it up. I was waiting for my PayPal or my Cash App to ding, you know, while you're setting up. You know, I thought maybe I could run through Raising Canes myself, but I guess not. Oh, but here I, we are. My apologies. I, I usually... The pleasure, 
The pleasure is all yours, sir. Yeah, uh, I'll take that. The pleasure is mine. It's good to have you on. I'm sorry. Uh, I usually pay guests after the show, so I'm sorry to uh, cut that memo with you, but... All right, then. Let's get it going, Buck. <laughs> but, uh, in all retrospect, yeah, Levi McDaniel, first of all, you... uh. Let's, let's just put things right into perspective. You're coming off of a big match with Brian Blade last night. That sharpshooter was on. You did not tap out, as far as I'm concerned. It was like, yeah, I mean, it was a disqualification finish, but Levi McDaniel, you didn't you didn't get pinned. You did not submit. Brian Blade won on a technicality. What do you have to say? Of course not, I didn't tap out. Of course not, I didn't get pinned. I mean, look, my tag team partner decided to interfere. Whatever. we get, I get disqualified, no big deal. Everybody who watched that match, they saw who the dominant wrestler was, and it wasn't Brian. Okay, yeah, I, I cannot argue with that. So um, so you feeling uh, still pretty good then after? I mean, yeah, you said best dominant wrestler. Christian Temple knows a thing or two about it now. Um, he got, got quite the beating by the answer last night, so... Definitely. Everybody in NWA knows who the most dominant wrestler is. They can play their games all they want, but they know they know who it is. Christian, he learned a little bit more last night. He's learned every time he's been in the ring with me. There Just you. roll the tape. All yeah. the matches are on YouTube. Look, they know what's coming. He's just lucky. Last night, his match was against Van Johnson and not me. Van, he, look, he's the champion. But guess what? Us two together... We're unstoppable. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen when I see the referee get knocked down in their match? You know what? I'm going to do what's best for my team, the champion, my partner, Van Johnson. And you know what? I saw an opportunity. I took advantage of it. As far as I'm concerned, Christian Temple, you can kiss my ass. Fair enough. So, I mean, yeah, and it's, it's a veteran move. You you paid attention to the referee, and I want to get just to that. Uh, let's talk about your wrestling journey so far. How long have you been doing this now, in general? Well, I started training, I'd say, 2007 and 2008. And back then it was uh, just a few seminars before shows. I was still in high school, so... Uh, Officially started real training, I'd say 2008, you know, after I graduated high school. So, now, uh, um, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. My very first match was uh, January of uh, 2009. Okay. So, uh, we had, we had Brian Blade on both Caddy Chat, a wrestling talk podcast earlier this week. We also had him on KLAN's Drive Time Lincoln, and he, was previewing uh, last night's show, and he, of course, was going to talk extensively about his own match with Levi McDaniel, and he mentioned that he he trained you in the first place? Yeah, well, initially my training began with MWA doing seminars. That's when I was still in high school. And uh, after I came back around, after I graduated, um... I basically started, I got introduced into the business kind of on a full-time basis um, from Donnie Pepper Cricket. And from there, I had met Brian and um, some other guys. And I basically, I had already moved to Omaha. Before that, I grew up in Iowa. Okay. Um, I already moved to Omaha because uh, 
another guy had talked about opening a school there. And I was just basically, I was ready to get trained. It was the, the closest uh, big city away from where I was from. So it's kind of the area I gravitated to. And anyways, Brian was doing a lot of traveling back then, plus booking his own shows with MWA. So I started traveling with him and uh, he was training me along with uh, Austin Storm. Okay, yeah, so kind of the earlier days with MWA then is around the time you would have started, it sounds like. I mean, I know he kind of co-founded MWA with Austin Storm, so. Exactly. So, so there was a lot of the old school MWA guys that started out there, you know. A lot of the faces you see now, they weren't with MWA. So now MWA was around for a while, a little while before me. Yeah. I mean, not a whole, whole long time, but I'd consider myself uh, MWA original. I mean, I started pretty much with the company. And uh, I've been one of the guys that's been wrestling with MWA over the years, and I'm still going with the promotion. And uh, if you look at the roster now, not a lot of guys were wrestling with MWA back when I started with the group. So, Okay, yeah, and I mean, and I've been there for a little, just about five years now myself, and I've seen, just in the last five years, I've seen the locker room change quite a bit. I want to say you were away from the product a little bit when I first started, but it wasn't probably a year or two within me being there when I finally started working with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can only say so much, but you've been there a lot longer than I am. Former MWA champion yourself, correct? Yes. So, all there is to it there. Now, I wanted to, I've wanted to have you on my uh, podcast for a long time, our podcast, the listeners' podcast, you know, whatever. I really do support the viewership and everything each week but i've had wanted to have you on the show for quite a while um i i've told you before about your story um just even on a personal level we'll maybe get to that but uh right now just i've noticed on facebook quite a bit you've talked about your wrestling journey you've talked about specific wrestlers that have been there along the way um and i want to talk about you know your days in japan and but i was just like and then like I said, veteran. Veteran's the right word for this. And you're now, you have a lot of younger talent that are looking up to you, and you're there with advice talking about taking those long-hour road trips, being jammed in the backseat between two bigger guys, just learning every second you could of the craft. And uh, and I said, man, this is, this is a story that I want to have heard more than just through your Facebook community, right? And so... And I couldn't have you on right away. Here we are, episode seven, because you're an expensive guest. But I wanted to make sure you were on. So, um, yeah, I guess, what, at what point did you go to Japan? Just tell, talk to me a little more about your early days in wrestling in general. Okay, so this is where I'd say everything comes together for me. Going to Japan is just perfect timing. Um a lot of guys, that's their dream to go to Japan. It was my dream, too. However, it didn't take me long to get there, just circumstantially. Um, I went there when I was 19 years old. And so after that first, uh, I'd say, real summer of wrestling and uh, traveling, like I'd said on Facebook before, you know, back when I started, I was just getting in the car every weekend. I already knew I was getting in the car not being booked, just throwing my bag in the car and going and helping out the promoters before the shows, training before the shows. And if they could use me, that's great. If not, whatever. That's how I started out. 
And the matches I had, I wore a hood, a mask, and was basically just jobbing, maybe made a few bucks here and there. But, you know, I was 18, 19 years old at the time, and I still had bills to pay. I was trying to live as cheap as possible, but I knew that it wasn't going to cut it. I knew it was going to be a long road to being able to make money off of wrestling, at least enough just to live off of. And my, my real goal in wrestling was to go to Japan. And uh, for one, I knew I needed a good regular job, and I wanted to go to Japan. And so basically I decided I wanted to go into the military, and I just basically talked to some different recruiters from different branches, and uh, the Air Force recruiter told me I'd have a pretty good chance at going to Japan if I wanted to go there. So basically I signed up. I kept wrestling on the indies here until it was time to uh, go through my basic training and all that. After my basic training, I wrestled down in Texas for a little while and uh, found out I was going to Japan. So, yeah, I went to Japan. I was there December of uh, 09. So I had my first match in January of 09, and I was arrived in Japan in December of 09. So I was still very green. Okay, absolutely. I got to Japan. I was there from January of 09 to December. Uh, I'm sorry, December of 09 to December of 2011, right before 2012. So um, basically, as soon as I got there, my goal was just to do as much as I can um, outside of work because my, my job was uh, security forces, so like military police. And I dedicated all my free time to the gym training in martial arts and training in pro wrestling and basically trying to get booked in pro wrestling. So basically as far as pro wrestling went, I called every promotion, sent emails, to every promotion, just trying to get in where anywhere I could get in. And, uh, the only real success I had was, um, I made some communications with, a guy who ran the big Japan shop. Um, and anyways, I ended up getting in with big Japan pro wrestling and I got invited down to the dojo, went down to the dojo, um, started my training with them. I was, I already had matches in the States, but I was a nobody. Nobody knew who I was and I still needed the training because I hadn't formally went through real training school. I just basically, was doing the hustle of every weekend traveling, learning the ropes from the veterans and learning before the shows, learning as a jobber, basically. So the school was just what I needed because that that got me up to par on the calisthenics, the technical aspects of the wrestling, and trying to get really good at the technical side of things. And uh, honestly, I went there just so humble, happy, and laid back, had a great attitude, and all the guys I trained with, um, they loved me. And after my first session, I was basically welcome in the dojo anytime. I was welcome with open arms. And uh, that's how that started over there. Okay. That's that's incredible. I mean, so I, I've considered you a, a friend and a pretty good friend at that for the last couple of years. Again, my apologies for making you wait today. Um, I know time is money. But I, I I didn't know a lot of your story. I knew you were in Japan, but I didn't realize it was with the military that got you there. That's that's pretty incredible. Um, I want to talk to you 
throughout the show about a couple different key names. You mentioned we talked about Brian Blade a little bit earlier. We've, of course, talked about Van Johnson. You mentioned Donnie Pepper Cricket. At this time, uh, I did see you bring up um, he was Rene Dupree in WWE. You want to tell us about him? Um, well, basically, I just put a post on Facebook saying how I think he's probably one of the best wrestlers in the world today. And, uh, anyways, my, when I met Renee, it was, uh, at All Japan Pro Wrestling. They were, uh, on a northern tour of Japan. So, basically, what my life consisted of in Japan was <laughs> my military job, which was security police, training, Basically, I was doing martial arts, boxing, Aikido, karate, sambo, pro wrestling. And I was playing rugby. And I was getting drunk every night. And I was lifting weights and running everything. Very active, very whatever. But when I didn't have all that going on, I was like trying to go to every wrestling show that was in the area. Any company that came around where I was stationed and trying to get in with them or do whatever I can. So basically I went to the show, uh, saw Renee before the show and I just basically talked to him. Uh, he was super laid back, nice guy. And, uh, just a good, good interaction, you know? Yeah. He, uh, I told him basically that, uh, you know, I was in Japan, you know, and all that. And I was an indie worker and all that. And he even was offering to pitch to the office for me to, go try to train with all Japan. And, uh, basically I know I, I told him I can't because for one, I was already training with big Japan at the time. And for two, uh, I couldn't commit to a full time going and living in the dojo because I had my military schedule. And, uh, anyways, he, the thing is, is nothing official of anything. He was just being nice to me. So my praise to him is that he's a cool dude. He's an inspiration because, He's had a great matches in Japan ever since he left WWE. The people who didn't, are not diehard Japanese wrestling fans, they really are missing out if they haven't watched his work over there. And then when I met him, the conversation wasn't about him. It was about me, and it was just being a nice guy. So I've always had a lot of respect for him, and I've followed his career. I'm trying to take advice from him as far as diet and exercise goes, and I think he's a great inspiration and example. Uh so yeah, uh, good dude, man. Uh, and I'll, I'll just shout out for him. He's got a, uh, YouTube channel, Cafe de Rene Dupree. It's like a podcast. Uh, check that out, man. He's a cool dude. Yeah. appreciate you bringing up the plug. I'll for sure take a look. Now, were you, I, I guess, full disclosure, were you like when you saw him in WWE, obviously at the time you had no idea he would be kind of a coworker and definitely somebody you'd look up to in Japan. Were you, were you a fan of his work before Japan? Like when, like the mainstream American audience was familiar with them or what was your f no. opinion on like law resistance and that? Not at all, man, because really I wasn't following WWE at all when he was in WWE. Oh, okay. I knew Renee from Japan and that was basically though, here's the deal. I was a big, big, huge Japanese wrestling fan. Like at that time I could have told you a lot more about Japanese wrestling than I could American wrestling. Okay. And so I knew about Renee from his work in Japan, and obviously I knew he was an ex WWE guy, but I already knew about him before I met him, obviously. Yeah. And I'd seen the, you know, I'd followed all the Japanese stuff, and I'd seen him, and his body looks great, in great shape, 
noticing all the work he's doing over there and watching his matches. So I already knew all about him when I met him. And then, you know, I was there. I watched the show that night. And, uh, you know, yeah, he was, I know about him from his work in Japan. Okay, that that's really cool. And so, yeah, you didn't have to kind of quote-unquote mark out when you met him and said, I just recite his WWE career back to him, and he was just another worker to you, but somebody you looked up to, so I think that's really cool. Man, man listen, I got a lot of guys that are names in the business that I'm friends with or I have interactions with or I get along with or I talk to regularly. Man, I, I never... I don't mark out for anybody. I just act like a normal person around them. I don't really talk about wrestling. I just talk about life or whatever. And, you know, I get along better just being myself, man. And then, uh, you know, I think about some of these guys, man, they're wrestling so much and their, their life is filled with wrestling. When they get their interactions, sometimes I'm sure they want to be normal for once and talk about other stuff. So, exactly. uh, I mean, honestly, my best memories in wrestling, with guys that are like big names or anything is usually activities or conversations about stuff that has nothing to do with wrestling. So yeah, yeah. that's my tidbit. On. And not, not that you need, but yeah, I can vouch for you. Cause I, I've worked shows with you where we've had well-known TV stars there. And I mean, you don't talk to them any differently than you talk to me other than, you know, we're friends so we, we know more about each other and you where you can be meeting some of these guys for the first time. But, yeah, no, I, I uh, the respect level is very much there. And it's kind of where it tra- segue to what I want to talk to you about next, especially in Japan. Um, when it comes to everyone in the pro wrestling circuit knows, like, when, you, when you're involved with shows, kind of the etiquette, um, paying your dues and earning your respect around, you know, shaking everyone's hand when you arrive to a show. Um, yeah, and setting up the ring and, you know, taking down the ring after. I know you've kind of harped on it a little bit. There was one MWA show where you were particularly not happy with a lot of the talent, and we, we'll talk more about LMFP in a little bit, and you said, well, if you were wanting a spot on my show, like, forget it. Like, you, you gotta respect the business before before you'll let, let them in, and I was like, wow, that's, that's a good stance. Is it the levels of respect and what you do to show respect any different in Japan than it is here in the States? Well, I mean, let, let me just dive into this. Okay. As okay. far as the handshaking goes, like to me, even in the States, that's old school, shake everybody's hand. The main thing is this, whether it's handshake or not, it's acknowledging the person having respect for someone. Even if you say, what's up? Hey, how are you doing? You might give them a hug. You don't have to be brother, brother, and handshake everything. I mean, I'm not upset if someone wants to shake my hand by any means. My main thing is, is if I have time to interact with everybody, that means more than just a little handshake and go. But at the same time, you're giving your respect by acknowledging someone. That's, that's how I feel. Now in Japan, uh, I, I wanted to handshake, but we didn't always handshake. A lot of times when you'd enter a room, you would just kind of bow. And you'd, you'd say a greeting, you'd greet everybody, you know, you'd acknowledge them and that's it. And, uh, Japan's all about respect. Yeah. Uh, the training is all about a hierarchy. Um, in the dojo, I had to be the first one to wake up. The young boys had to be the first to wake up. 
get everything prepped for the day. The food, the ring, the laundry, the showers, everything, you know, had to be prepped. And then pretty much had to take care of all that. Now the older guys who helped out with training, they would roll in later, whatever. Um, it's all about a hierarchy and respect. As far as the ring goes over there, the promotions I worked for, Pretty much everybody, no matter if they have been wrestling for many years or if they're brand new, they all helped with the ring. Uh, everybody helped. Um, so that my philosophy is here is, you know, each promoter's got their own way of doing it. Uh, it's always awesome if a, a show has their own ring crew. I mean, I think the ring crew and the students need to be doing the ring. I mean... If now, if, if it's a show where it's only certain guys or professionals or you, you know, depending on the show, you need to get, get your pay and get out of there. Yeah. Everybody jumps in and helps with something that gets done a lot quicker. Absolutely. But my problem is this. Okay. I don't mind if a guy has been wrestling for many years and he's not helping with the ring. That's not a problem. My problem is, is, you know, the young guys, who are there for a training seminar or ring crew or ref or whatever, and they're not helping, but they want to be involved or they're trying to get attention from fans or they're outside smoking and joking. They need to be the ones helping with the ring. So if there is an old veteran helping out or guys that have been even, not even a veteran, that have been doing it a few years, they're sitting there tearing every piece down and the younger guys all fucking around. Well, I got a problem with that. And that's what I'm going to make known. You know, that is, totally disrespectful so it's all a hierarchy on that you know my thing is effort you know show that you want to be there and that's a big part of it yeah and the shit needs to be done whether you like it or not the that ring if it wasn't for the promoter the guy hauling the ring the truck all that bullshit that the guy invested his money into in time to make all this happen if he didn't make all that happen you nobody would have a place to go have fun and jerk each other off as wrestlers, you know, and these guys are brand new and they need to understand that a lot goes into promoting shows. And, uh, if they're there, they need to put their time in the right way. And, uh, that's paying dues. That's helping out with whatever the promoter needs that takes the stress off the promoter. And really the veterans, they shouldn't have to do any of that stuff. If there's all those younger guys around. Now you have, you have some promoter work experience with yourself, uh, or yourself. You do. Um, have you had to, especially in your own promotion, have you had to get on some of the up and coming wrestlers' cases about like if have you caught people not helping and say hey you you need to do this like show your respect? Well, you know all the stuff I've ran, I booked guys that I knew would pretty much help, and okay. they've been smooth. You know, I my thing is is I try to lead by example too, and unfortunately that's the hard part about trying to wear the hat of everything of a promoter. I mean, I would love to roll up there in a suit and look really professional, but I got to set up a ring. I got to, I got to do every, you know, everything that dictates certain things, but on show date, there's so many roles, you know, I sit there and I'll help, I'll set the ring up and try to get everything situated the way I want. So, you know, most of the guys just want to get it done and ready and they're there and they see me leading by example and I'm not yelling at people this or that. If there's young guys there, I definitely expect them to help me. And I'll say this, and I'm sure any other promoter listening will agree. 
if you got young guys or students or trainees that are all on the same level as far as they're green, they're not going to really draw or they're not really ready, but they may be up and coming or they have potential or there's somebody within the, the group that, you know, is paying dues. The guys who are helping with the ring, with whatever the promoter wants, doing anything he wants, those guys are going to get the opportunities in the business that the other guys that are in the same level as them that don't want to help out with the show, those guys won't get those opportunities. As a promoter, I want the guys that want to help the company grow and do whatever I ask. So, I mean, that's just a part of it. If you're brand new in this business, you got to be all in and you got to be wanting to help out. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. How long has uh, LMFP been around now? How long have you been doing this? 2019. Um, there's been six shows so far for this promotion. Now, I've promoted shows years ago under different names, but this is what I'm running now. Uh, yeah, six shows so far. The next one will be big number seven. All right. <laughs> Do you uh, do you have a date in mind yet for that that seventh show? No, and here's the deal: I uh, I do, but I don't. And what I do have a date for is basically something I'm working on with one of my partners that I work for. It's called Freak Wrestling Commands. They're out of Germany. Okay. And uh, they they do an international episode where basically I film matches or have some type of content that they feature on their YouTube channel. So. I am planning on having some matches of sorts this summer. It'll be July, like a 4th of July themed deal. Yeah. Uh, but that will be like an exclusive kind of for their channel. And I, I don't have all the info on that. That's something I'm working on. My thing is this, with this promotion, I don't own a wrestling ring, so I have to run everything out. Uh, basically, the cards that we've had have been based on opportunity of uh, certain festivals or certain venue and dates lining up with the, you know, the guy that owns the ring. And, uh, basically, uh, it is what it is. I don't have a full budget to just dump into this right now and just run monthly or semi-monthly or any of that stuff. So it's kind of at the point, I would say the status of the promotion is, um, it'll have a show and it'll have a show, you know, yeah, it's going to be like, It'll be like for right now. It's going to be like a band, like Tool or something that you, you know, they want you want to hear them drop an album, but you just don't know when it's going to be. Fair enough. And I mean, that's one of the things I've respected about you too. Like you mentioned, budgeting is uh, now I am yet to be able to work uh, an LMFP show, and we've talked about it. And uh, I I I appreciate your interest in bringing me on, but I remember there was one show in particular that I said, hey, I. 
I have this day free. Um, what do you feel about me coming and helping with the ring announcing, whatever else? And you mentioned you have somebody, but you're up for the idea of us working together, kind of, or like having different roles. But then you right away you said, "Here's the only trouble. This is what my budgeting's looking like. I don't have the budget to bring you in. Like I can give you this much, a little bit, but um, you know, you got." your time on the road and everything. And that was one thing I really leave. I really appreciate about you from the get go is you were just up front with me. You're saying, Hey, like if you're wanting to come, come over and you're expecting a huge payday, like don't waste your time. And not to say I was expecting a huge payday anyway, but the fact that like right from the get go, you said, well, this is, this is how this is re looking realistically. So that was one thing I, and I think I, complimented you at that point but i want to reiterate just how much i appreciate you being up front with me there so well this first off i like you as a ring announcer better than the guy we had however it was one of them deals he uh was coming up i don't know if i paid him anything uh he was he got a camera guy that was supposed to come with him he was really trying to be involved actually i think he paid money to train before the show. Okay. So, I mean, it's one of them deals, you know, I got to make money. Yeah. And yeah, I figured, you know what, he's done ring announcer before, um, for Brian, whatever, you know, I, I didn't have any money on that show for a budget. So as a promoter, that's what's, here's what's stressful. And then here's what, why I'm not just throwing another show together. Uh, because uh, a show that I'm going to have a live crowd at like that, I'm here's what I'm big on that some other promoters might not be. I want to have a good sound guy. I want to have a good ring announcer. I want to have good refs. I want to have good helping. I want to have good helping hands there for me as a promoter, especially if I'm wrestling on a show. I don't, it is a lot of work to try to run everything and enjoy myself. If I don't have all those other people in place, like it is so awesome when I can just have a meeting with, my ring announcer, all the crew, and let them know what's going on, and then they can just kind of make it happen. They, they can be responsible adults and think like a regular job at whatever they're doing and do it without having to ask me every single question, you know? Yeah. If there's a question with music, they will figure it out on their own, or they can go ask the wrestler themselves. Get all that stuff. Do all that, please, because the hardest part about running a show on show date is not – wrestling or even get worrying about the people coming in the door you know it's managing everything when you have talent running up to you for every single question and every little you know things that need to be answered or addressed but you know you got to have people in place to help you and it makes it run so much smoother so i would say yes i have my ideas in my head for the promotion i have big dreams for it, but i also realize i'm going to start this at a grassroots level at really the bottom and I'm going to work my way towards all that. And what's really going to be fun about this is every match is documented. It's uploaded on my YouTube page. So every match of LMFP you can see on my YouTube channel. Um, and basically, hopefully from here on out, you'll, you're going to see us starting from the bottom and working my way up. Now, my goals for the promotion is basically, eventually I want to have a training school. Okay. And I want to develop my own talent, and I want to use these guys on my shows. I want to do, like, a studio-style wrestling, and then I would like to take the show on the road locally, you know, hit some of the towns where where, where it would be good. But 
I can't just start like that. So yeah, basically we're going to get in where we fit in anything I could do creatively for YouTube that we could produce, uh, some type of content with a group of guys, the core of the group of the guys right now, if anybody's looking to be a part of the promotion, now's the time to get a hold of me because I am open for all types of suggestions. Um, the way I try to run the promotion is totally not authoritarian. I want everybody who's involved to have the creative input and decisions will be made. But honestly, I like everybody trying to be comfortable with what they're doing and have ideas because that just makes it more fun. And, uh, yeah, I just want it to be a fun place to work, but at the same time, try to put on something unpredictable and exciting that makes, makes it a little bit different than the other promotions out there. So have you had all, all six shows in Iowa so far in kind of that Des Moines area then? No, we've done, uh, Earlham, Iowa, Dexter, Iowa, Olathe, Kansas, Greenfield, Iowa. Those are the LMFP shows. So we've done Dexter a few times and uh, Earlham a couple times. So Earlham and Dexter, those are two really small towns that are like my home area, which is like West Des Moines and Iowa. So... I had some shows there locally, kind of, and, uh, I mean, not kind of, but it's locally. I'm probably, I'm the only name that the people would recognize on the, on the flyer type of local, yeah. other than the name brought in, like James Storm, maybe from TV, they'd seen him, but the people around the area know me. So naturally, it was a place where I could get business and run a couple shows. Uh, and that's an area we'll go back to, but, other than that, like the Kansas thing, that venture, that I mean, I never planned. That was the second show I wasn't planning on having down there. How that came about was I was down there uh, with my ex-wife at the time, and we were going to go to the the Worlds of Fun, but it was rained out. We ended up going to a bar, and there was band playing. So, anyways, the promoter was there promoting the band. I got his info, and uh, we worked together on promoting a show down in Olathe, Kansas, and. Uh, yeah, man. Basically, LMFP. I want it to be a kick-ass promotion, and I want to give guys opportunities. But I want guys to step up and really want it. You know, I want those guys that uh, that really want to make it in wrestling and go out there and have good matches and not bitch about everything. Yeah, and um, I don't think I don't think that's asking too lot to to be honest. So, uh, kudos to you there, um, and the fact that you you. You said, you know, you want to travel more, but the fact that you have had, you know, multiple locations, it's a lot. Now, I know you've mentioned it before. Have you had any death matches there yet? Um, Not under this brand. I, I mean, we've done some hardcore stuff. I mean, the last year, 4th of July show in Earlham, the big shebang was uh, I took a double choke slam from Hillbilly Bubbles and uh, Bubba Sutton, rest in peace, onto some thumbtacks, but... I laid out a lot of thumbtacks and pretty much landed on the back of my head. So I was bleeding pretty good there. Oh, and then uh, their manager, Reverend Wombat, he lit off a bunch of fireworks on my back. And then um, I jumped off a huge ladder for later in the match and, you know, done some stuff like that, some type of extreme stuff. But no death matches in this promotion. And uh, the, the death matches I've ever booked were – 
for American Heritage Wrestling and for Midgets Women and Hardcore Wrestling. And those promotions, uh, basically old promotions that are defunct now. Gotcha. Now, there's a couple things, and it's real important to me. We get to hear uh, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on as well. And you kind of said some things throughout this show so far that alluded to me to want to bring things up. Um, you know, you mentioned your ex-wife at one point, which I don't need to talk to you about your marital issues you had. Um, and then you also mentioned when you first started and like um, that one of it was on the norm was getting drunk every night. And uh, I know when, and I've told you this before, when I first met you, I mean, I think the first time I met you was a simple introduction I needed to know your name and your hometown and everything for your intro. And I think that was about the extent of us talking. And then the next couple shows I worked with you, we didn't really talk a whole lot. And uh, I feel you were a different person back then than the man that I'm talking to now. And I'm not just saying that from a selfish standpoint. Of course, you know, I could see the world through my own eyes, right? But um, I guess you want to tell me just kind of your journey over the last couple of years with where you've been with sobriety and that? Yeah, I mean, first I'll say I'm sober. I haven't drank in uh, basically April 18th of uh, 2021. So it's been over a year now. Well, congratulations. Over, um, but before that, you know, yeah, I was a heavy drinker. And that started with... Uh, I wanted to say, I mean, I, I mean, I wanted to say it didn't start because of wrestling. I mean, but at the same time, I've been wrestling since I was a teenager. And if I wasn't involved with the training in pro wrestling, I was doing backyard wrestling and hanging out with my friends. I'd already started drinking at a young age, but I didn't think I was out of control. I was always in shape, working out. I could handle it, you know. Yeah. Uh, when my time when I was in Japan in the Air Force, I was so active, like my, the way my body feels now and the way I'm trying to be active, I can't even fathom how good a shape I was in back then because I was so involved and active. Like I said, my regular job, I had to do PT, so running, all that type of military training, but I was also hitting the gym every day. I was playing rugby, doing sambo, doing aikido, karate, boxing. Every day I had something going on. But the way my routine was, was when I was done with that, I would always hit the alcohol. As soon as I got done training, I would start hitting the booze and I'd hit the bars. A stinking drink. I'd walk out of the boxing gym in my sweats and go straight to the bars and just start pounding alcohol all night and uh, go to work on over and then do the same thing pretty much every day. And I, I mean, I was having fun and my body was like not really bothering me, but okay. Once I got away from that and I was like back to being a civilian and then back in the States, you know, alcohol and partying became just an escape for me. And when you combine that with wrestling, that's an ultimate escape. And, uh, you know, I wasn't being a good wrestler. I wasn't putting everything into wrestling. That's where I feel really bad about my career and my twenties. As soon as I came back from Japan, I could have really hit it hot. I, I did hit a bunch of Indies, but I traveled quite a bit right away. But, uh, you know, I basically started a family. I was working shitty jobs. I was still trying to wrestle as much as I can, but 
the same time I wasn't taking care of my body and my head did not process nutrition or anything. I wasn't even trying. I quit going to the gym altogether. I quit doing all those sports and martial arts and I wasn't in wrestling school anymore. So basically the only exercise I had was if I was working some shitty job and my actual matches, cause I was having three or two matches a week, maybe one a week, just depending on the week. So my only form of exercise was from training before a show and at, at the show in the match. And the rest of the other time I was drinking, I was no longer doing martial arts or hitting the gym or nothing. And eventually, you know, I knew I was a good wrestler, but I wasn't trying my best. And I feel really bad about that. And also, you know, wrestling got to be about the party after and the party on the way. And I just enjoyed escaping my life, traveling, leaving home, not thinking about work, not thinking about my relationship, just getting hammered, wrestling and all that. And uh, I wrestled drunk. I wrestled on pills, on weed pretty much everything and uh, did that a long time and I was just trying to have fun and uh, you know escape I, I shouldn't say I was trying to have fun but uh, with wrestling it's like any drug you're trying to chase a high and uh, you know I can never get that high that I had when I was in Japan and uh, instead of trying to train my body and try to make take the big opportunities that came to me I basically uh, decided just to have fun and uh, do my best on these shows. Like I would, it's not like I'd go to the ring and not try. I would right. still work my best. But there's more to just showing up and having a show every day. If you want to be a good wrestler, my mindset now is every day try to be the best wrestler I can be. Nutrition, drink enough water, hit the gym, watch what I eat, all of that. All that shit's new to me now, and I'm I'm working on it. But basically, all my twenties, I neglected all that. Um, when I came back from Japan, I had an opportunity to move to Japan and I decided I wasn't going to do it. I had already got comfortable back home, you know, around my family. I had my, just started a new family and, uh, I, I didn't take that opportunity. One of my trainers from Japan, Yuki Ishikawa from Battle Arts, uh, I trained with him over there as well. He was moving to Canada to open up a Battle Arts gym, which is successful today. They wanted me to go there and, help out with that when it started couldn't take that opportunity i had opportunity to move to tijuana and i uh, didn't want to do that either so basically my 20s consisted of not always giving my best but still s studying a lot of wrestling not working out drinking a lot of alcohol partying and uh yeah that was just basically a bad time i mean for a long time <laughs> But I'm not there anymore. Like I said, I'm over a year now um, sober. I still have a problem with nicotine. You see me on here smoking cigarettes and uh, yep. the vape pen. But, um, you know, I can't do everything in one day. So that yeah. is what it is. I mean, I haven't really had the drug and alcohol problem myself, but I do know I've, I've been around enough addiction through friends and family over my years and uh, – I just, yeah, one step at a time. Uh, I just want to say from a personal standpoint, and I remember those early days I kind of brought up where we, we didn't always, I'm not going to say we didn't always see eye to eye. I think we were just kind of off on the wrong foot. But I, I'd see you in the, in the locker room with a 12-pack of beer next to you, and it was just natural. And uh, yeah. 
Dude, here's the thing, man. And then you, it's just probably you take it personally and you shouldn't have because I was, uh, by the time I was at the shows, man, my mindset was not there to have a good, I, the thing is this, when you're an addict and alcoholic and shit, you know, and if I was taking painkillers too, you tell yourself you're there to have a good time. But when you take all that shit, you're in your own head. So I'm sitting there, man, I'm spaced out. I'm probably wasn't listening to what you're saying. And you know, you weren't the only one. Yeah. Anybody that would try to interact with me, my interactions wouldn't have been very good. And, uh, that was just who I was at the time. And, uh, I loved the downers and I loved turning my brain off. And, uh, you know, I, I feel, you know, the thing is, is it's awesome getting sober because you, you, you can reflect on that stuff, but you naturally feel better. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, the hard part is this, my body fucking hurts and I don't take any painkillers now. No, I mean, no pain pills, no alcohol. My body hurts really bad. And that's the biggest challenge of all that. But, you know, uh, that's part of it. You got a man up and with wrestling. That's, that's why I'm trying now to have a different approach and just keep my body first and most important. I don't look the best, but I'm trying my best to make progress. Yeah. And, uh, I'm trying to keep my body good. You know, my joints hurt. I, my, I'm stiff. I'm trying to get, you know, stretched out and all that shit because I basically, if I want to do this, I gotta, I gotta try to take care of myself because I never did in my twenties. Right, fair enough. And you know, and I, I mentioned the past and I'm not, and you know me well enough. I'm not dwelling on the past or anything or my perspective of things. What I'm, what I do is I focus on the here and now and the fact that I, I can call you a friend. Um, I really, I have a lot of respect for you and I, I appreciate your friendship and the conversations we've had in the locker room before, after, and even during shows, um, it's come a long way. And I mean, it just, it makes me feel better. Like this as an up and comer in this business too, um, knowing I have your respect and where I leave shows. And I said, well, I've done right by Levi McDaniel and I've done right by other people. So um, I don't want to dwell on the past, but I focus on the here and the now. And I just, I appreciate, appreciate you for who you are and our friendship and like just what you've done for me in this short amount of time. So thank you. Hey man, uh, everybody has to start somewhere but at the same time, you know, it's one of them deals where, you know, when I was using, I didn't care about other people as much as I do now. I'm more empathetic yeah. now, but at the same time, I've realized with wrestling, like, listen, and this has also helped with me as a promoter to realize this. Like, if you got guys that are wanting to be there and do things for you, then you need to treat them as family and just try to be like, okay, this is my ring announcer. Well, okay, obviously I need to have respect for him. And, uh, there's so much I've seen on wrestling where a ring announcer might not get respected or a referee or someone else doesn't get respected. And, uh, I want to try to change that. And at the same time, it's like, uh, you're there doing it, you know? So you should just automatically have respect because there ain't nobody, even if guys, there's guys that would want to do it or they could say they want to do that, but they're never going to step up and just do it. Yeah. So you stepped up, you do it, you show up when you can and do your best. So what else can anybody ask? Yeah. Absolutely. Same goes for all the other guys that are not wrestlers, but they're involved with something, you know? 
So, yeah, absolutely. And, again, I appreciate that. Now, you've said the word respect, and uh, those who follow me on social media, my friends and family, there's one name that I've had the most respect for um, since I started, and I want to have him on a future episode of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk podcast. Um, And he's agreed to do it. We just are still trying to iron out when to have him on. Uh, Things can be a little overwhelming with life and everything else at times. But I want to give, I've been having other MWA guests uh, take the same platform, and I want to do the same for you. Tell me about your time with uh, working with or sharing a locker room with Chief Atakulakula and your thoughts on him. Um, You know, he's approaching retirement himself, so I want to give you this floor, this platform to express your, um, your thoughts on chief. You know, chief, someone I've known a long time in this business. We've had some great matches over the years. A lot of, uh, shows we've been together that we didn't have matches. You know, I've always enjoyed his company. He's someone I consider a friend. I've rode in cars with him before. I mean, He's a great dude, and I am gonna. I already miss not seeing him at shows. Uh, Chief is a character that you feel like will never would never die in wrestling, that would never leave the wrestling business. Despite I already knew he was a dinosaur, I already knew he's old. I, I mean, obviously he can't do it forever, but still, the character of Chief Atakulakula will live on forever, and. Uh, it's kind of a character you think that hat will be wrestling forever, but obviously reality is, is his time's coming up. I wish I could have one final match with him. I wish it could be uh, a hardcore match an extreme rules match. Um, we, the best hardcore match I've had in my career was a death match I did with him. And uh, that match was a lot of fun. We've had other matches that were extreme. They were all fun. I would love to throw down with him one last time and like I would like to turn it up a notch. You know, we did some cool stuff before, but I would like to take the extreme to a whole nother level. And that could be my last match with him at least. You know, he's gonna have other matches maybe before he's done, but uh he's talking about Puerto Rico. If he only goes to Puerto Rico and not here, maybe I could have that match with him in Puerto Rico someday. I don't know. But I, I I'm not gonna accept the fact that uh I've that he's done and I'm not going to have another match with him. So he can say he's done. I know he's pretty much counting his bookings down, but I still need to have one match with him. And I'm, I'm sure one day I can make that happen. Good to hear. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I really appreciate you taking the time to show your respect to him as well. Um, we got to, we're running out of time here. Uh, so I'm just kind of wrap things up. Levi, I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I think it was a really, Really good, really insightful episode of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast. I think if you know people want to get into this business, if they get into my podcast for any reason, I think this is going to be an episode that I want to turn them to and be like, "Hey, you want to you want to know how to make your way around around here? Here's something to start with." So I really appreciate the insight that you shared today and just uh, taking time out of your schedule to come on. I really do appreciate that, Levi. Yeah, man, the pleasure is all yours, remember? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Can't say too much. Um, I also want to give a shout-out to a couple individuals here. Uh, Kenny Larrabee, the digital director here at NRG Media, 
and Lincoln. Um, I mean, we were having snafus with the Zoom and getting everything ready for this Facebook Live after my Raising Cane's lunch. Uh, so I had to call Kenny. So, Kenny, I, I uh, want to thank, thank him, my Facebook producer, Ryan Johnson, for his endless work he does for here as well. And, of course, today's guest, Levi McDaniel. Thank you again. Pleasure is all mine. And this has been Caddy Chat, a Wrestling Talk podcast, episode seven with Levi McDaniel. Do you have any final words, Levi? Yeah, go to my YouTube page. It's YouTube slash Levi McDaniel and subscribe. Check out all of my videos on there. You'll see a bunch of different types of wrestling. Also, go to the website, LeviMcDaniel.com. They got links for everything on there. Other than that, uh, Hopefully this uh, podcast can continue to grow and this will be the best episode you have. So looking forward to getting the word out there. Appreciate the time, man. Yeah, thank you. And uh, for those watching, thank you for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you then.